Today on Abounding Grace. I mean, you can blow it so bad that your mind will play tricks on you. And you'll just think, man, maybe I'm not saved after all. Maybe I lost my salvation. But see, the Bible says that you have been born again to a living hope. It never dies. You have a hope that lives on into eternity. You are kept by the power of God. I just want you to think about that for a second. How do you know that you're saved and that you're still saved? Because God is keeping you by His power, not your power. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Are you saved and on your way to heaven? Your answer doesn't have to be, I hope so. It can be, I know so. You can be sure and certain. And we'll explain why on Abounding Grace as we go deeper into Hebrews chapter 6. Pastor Ed Taylor shows us how we're kept by the power of God. And you can be thankful it's not up to your power. Imagine if your salvation was dependent upon your power. How many times a day do you fail? Go ahead and throw a number out. Say it out loud, anybody. Eight. Eight, I think, is pretty low. Some of you don't want to give us double-digit numbers or triple digits. <laughs> you get my point. If you are kept by your power, oh, man, it's all lost. I'm glad that Peter doesn't say, oh, you've been beginning, gotten to a living hope, and it's all what God has done until you fail. Then it's your power. And then you go in and out, in and out, in and out. No, no, listen, church. You are kept by the power of God. Circle that word kept. That, that Greek word kept means to be guarded. That word kept speaks of a fortress or a garrison. The idea behind that word kept is, is that God has built a wall of protection around your relationship with him. He has protected you. That word kept literally means that God stands as a guard over your relationship with him. That it's his power and his strength. It, it speaks of someone standing guard over our lives. It reminds us of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, where it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. The unrighteous can't run into it and be safe. It's reserved for believers. It's reserved for those in covenant relationship with God. You run into the tower of God, his great name, you're kept there by the power of God. Psalm 91, verse 14, it says, Because he has set my love upon me, Therefore, I will deliver him and I will set him on high because he has known my name. Check this out. Psalm 125, verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. You are kept by the power of God. And so when you ask the question as a believer, are you saved? Are you secure? You can answer that question yes and be sure. You have been begotten again. 
Do you know that there isn't one place in the Bible where you will ever read of someone being unborn again? There's nowhere in the Bible. There's a lot of wandering. There's a lot of struggling. There's a lot of failure that's always matched by what? Forgiveness and a pursuing God. One that was, one that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, who also teaches us, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But you never read of anyone born again, unborn again, born again, unborn again on this endless cycle. But rather you read over and over again of a faithful God. So much so, so much so, that the Bible says even when we are faithless, God just throws you away. No, it's not what it says. He says, whenever, even when we're faithless, who's faithless? Believers. Even when we're faithless, God remains faithful. It's so comforting. Let me pause here for a second and say this. There are those that might listen to this and say, now wait a minute, Ed, with that kind of assurance, then I guess I could just kind of live my own life, do my own thing. I mean, if God's going to forgive me, and if I'm saved, and, you know, all I need to do is pray some little prayer, all I need to do is walk up the all, I need to raise my hand, if that's really what it is, then I guess I can just go out and live like the world. I can sin all I want, and, I mean, if that's all really it is, if it's really nothing to lose, then I'm going to go live my life like nothing to lose. However, if you live your life like there's nothing to lose, you may have never gained salvation to begin with, because that doesn't sound like a believer. A believer doesn't talk like that. A follower of Jesus Christ that has placed their faith in him and is born again has a new language, has a new mind, literally has a new life. And just for us as humans, because of this, God put a question in the Bible and an answer. So this wouldn't be a gray area. You know, as we mentioned before in previous studies, there are some things that are gray area. The matter of sin is no gray area. So that when Paul writes to the Roman believers, he asks this question. He says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And in the Greek language, he uses the absolute strongest word to answer that question. And it's translated into two words in the English in our, in our New King James Bible. He says, certainly not. A life of reckless, sinful behavior is not reflective of new life. It's not reflective of a changed life. It's very similar to a marriage relationship where you have two, two individuals, male and female, that were single. And we see this. Let me use an example as we've seen a few in our church. Older singles that got married later in life. So they lived much of their life single. You know, they got an apartment here, an apartment here. Uh, they meet, they court, they date, they get engaged, they get married. And they stand here, perhaps on this stage, and they look at each other in the eye, and it's so filled with love, and tears are falling down, and everything, everybody's ooing and aahing. And I always remind the guy, because I have more access to the guy, and I always remind him, it's real easy, bro, two words. I do. That's all you got to say. I do. Just look her in the eye and say, I do. And when each of them exchange their vows and they move in together, they can no longer live as a single person. They've made a new covenant. 
They have a new life. They are married. If they choose to continue to live like they're single, like for example, oh, I'm, where are you going tonight? Well, I'm going on a date. A date? <laughs> We're married. Well, you know, I want to do my own thing. That doesn't sound like a married person. Because a married person now changes their thinking. Now, in that simple illustration, think of it this way. God does that work inside and changes your mind. So don't, don't allow this doctrine of the assurance of your salvation, the, the confidence that you can have, somehow twist in your mind that you can just go ahead and live life however you want to live life in terms of rebellion against God because you have chosen no longer to rebel against God and he's changed you from the inside out. Turn over to John chapter 10 now. Let me show you as we wind down because we really do need to wind down on this one. John chapter 10. I love this. Jesus is speaking here. If you're truly born again, you're secure in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. Pick up in verse 22 with me, would you? He says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in the Solomon's porch. And then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. You see that? That's the sovereignty of God, the free will of man. Who's responsible for their unbelief? They are. I told you guys, God's sovereign condescension to their level. I mean, the Messiah's eye level with them. And their response, you do not believe. He says, the works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you. And so you ask the question, how can I be a sheep of Jesus Christ? Believe. Notice verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them, mark that word, eternal life. Salvation is not temporary based upon your own good works. Salvation is eternal based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. I not only, he says, and he makes it clear, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall, mark that word, never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There is great security in Jesus Christ. This is intended to give you confidence that Jesus is holding on to you. With his everlasting power, you are kept by the power of God. As a sheep following Jesus, you are given eternal life and you will never perish. You hear the master's voice. And I believe in a good summary, I believe in the security of the believer and in the insecurity of the make-believer. Those that think they're saved or pretend that they're saved. If a person is playing games with the love of God, then there will be no security to you. You'll just never really know. Your life will be filled with frustrations and fears, anguish and anxiety. It is Jesus Christ, according to verse 28, that gives eternal life. He gives it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It, it doesn't make sense, does it? For God to give us eternal life as a gift of grace and say, and say here's life. Here, you're saved. Now, in order to keep it, 
continue to do good works because the minute you do something bad, you lose it. It doesn't make any sense. You see, I take great comfort in the power of God to keep me, that no one can snatch me out of my father's hand, not even me. And parents, like this is such a a beautiful picture of the confidence that your kids have in you. Like right now, many of your children are being taught by, by the teachers in our Sunday school. They're taught the love of Jesus Christ at their level, men and women that have dedicated themselves to teaching kids. And they're in there right now. And the reason they're in class and not with you is because they trust you. They trust you, Dad. They trust you, Mom. You know, they have that peace and confidence with them when they're with you. They don't worry about where they're going to eat. They don't worry about gas in the car. Your kids aren't worrying about the mortgage or who's going to pay the rent. Why? Because they trust you. They love you. Mom and dad's going to take care of it. You know, your kids aren't pacing your bed. You know, your three-year-old's not pacing in your room right now. What's going to happen with the mortgage? I don't know what's going to happen. I can't make the payment on the crib. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, and they, they don't see the bills. They don't care. Why? They trust you. They love you. And the reason why they're downstairs is because they trust you as you trust the teachers. And they're there. They're not thinking this way. It's not even something they have to worry about. There's not, you know, nobody's sitting down right there. I'm here today because I trust my parents. They don't. You have instilled in them. You, you have built in them that type of trust. How? By your loving care and service to them. It's not just because they were born in your house. It's not just because you adopted them. It's not just because you're, foster, you're, not, you're fostering a child right now. No, it's not because of the legalities. Or, it is because of a love relationship that your children have with you. And it's just very simple. They trust you. That's why, church, it's really important that you live up to the trust that your kids have in you. It's not some legalistic trip of how you live your life. Your kids trust you, and on top of that, they're following you. They're following your steps and your thoughts and your actions. They're learning from you. So that if they make some bad decisions along the way, they're doing it against the way they were taught. Because you taught them, you know, how many times we've said, that's not how I raised them. Because you raised them in a way to honor and glorify God. I, I use this illustration a lot because I remember this. When I was, whenever I'd walk my kids across the street or in a dangerous place, most of the time I would just put my hand down and they could grab my pinky and they could just kind of walk along with me and just grab my pinky and we'll just be walking. And if there's no big deal, then they'd let go and we'd move into the store or we'd go across the street, no big deal. And, and so the idea was, hey, hold my hand. And I'd tell, so I'd tell my kids, hold my hand, hold my hand, hold my hand. So they'd go and they'd hold my hand. And, and that's how most of the time we would cross the street. Most of the time we'd go into the store through a parking lot. They would hold my hand. But what they didn't know is that if any sign of danger would come, any car comes screaming around the corner, any issue come up, then in a millisecond of time, I, I could take my hand and whip it around and grab their wrist because they're not going to get away from me. Most of the time, it's okay to have that kind of, just grab on hold of me, grab hold of me. You know, sometimes you use this kind of language in your own life. Sometimes you, how you doing there? What do you say? Hanging in there. <laughs> and the picture is, you know, I'm making it. I'm hanging in there. But it's in times of hanging in there where you find out it's not so much about you holding on to the pinky of God, but him holding on to you. 
He's hanging on to you. You might just be hanging in there, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, he is holding on to you. And that's what brings confidence. It's not the confidence of our weak little grip, especially in difficult times. It's the confidence of God's faithfulness to hold on even when we can't. Even when we don't, we can have confidence in him. That's what Jesus said. No one can snatch me out of the Father's hand, not even me. God is so good. I was not saved by good works, church. You were not saved by good works, therefore you cannot be kept by good works. You were saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ, and he's the one that keeps you. How? By the power of God. So I want to take these last few minutes. If you're taking notes, get a pen out, get a piece of paper out, write it on your forearm if you have room, write it on somebody's shirt, whatever you need to do. I want you to jot these down because I'm going to give you 10 things. They're not the only 10 things, but I want to give you 10 things that help distinguish a believer from a make-believer. 10 things that will help you see the progress in your own life and to look for things to progress in. Please don't use this list as a list of discouragement, but rather encouragement, that these are yours the instant you're born again and they grow in your life. Number one, if you're a believer, you have spiritual life. Spiritual life. 1 John 5.11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The Bible describes us as spiritually dead and darkened, aimlessly wandering around according to the book of Ephesians. But now as a believer, you have life. You are no longer spiritually dead, but you are physically alive and spiritually alive. Number two, a believer is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. A believer is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just the mere fact of saying those words, Jesus is Lord, because an atheist can say that. That's not what he's saying, just to mouth these words. But rather, it's speaking of the significance of the relational aspect of Jesus is Lord. It's not just mouthing words. Like you now are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you begin to live life in a way where you declare Jesus as Lord. You're spiritually alive. This is the same sensitivity now as you believe. It's not your conscience or the law of the land. Sometimes, you know, you'll talk to people and go, well, why don't you do that? Well, because it's against the law. You don't have those, you don't have those conversations anymore. You, you, if somebody says, why don't you do this? You say, well, you know what? The, my God, my Lord doesn't want me to do it. Well, wait a minute, it's not against the law. I know, but it's just, I, it's not for me. The Bible says not to do it. You're, you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not just your conscience, but your conscience has become alive now to the Spirit of God. Number three. Number three, a believer has a desire to fellowship. As a matter of fact, a believer actually knows what that word means. That you want to hang out with other believers. You want to, you know, we, you want to go to church. You want to listen to Bible studies. Like, imagine that. Man, when I wasn't saved, the last place on the earth I would be is in a church. I had no desire. The last book I'd ever read was the Bible. Christian radio or music? 
No way. That wasn't a part of my life. But here I am now, 28 years later, and Jesus is my life. I don't just go through actions and activities. He is my life. And every aspect of it, he's invading more and more. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we've seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowships with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We have fellowship. The word means to share in common. It's more than just having coffee together. It's talking about, thinking about, and sharing the life of Jesus Christ with each other. You actually not only do that, but as a believer, you want to do that, which you didn't want to do that before. Number four, a believer has a life of steady obedience. This is amazing to me. This is one of the most amazing ones. I mean, they're all pretty cool, but this one really strikes me. John chapter 10, verse 27, we read it. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And what's the response? They follow me. You have a steady obedience. And this obedience is not dependent upon Bible knowledge. Because the moment you were born again, you began to obey. Like some people think, well, you know, I'll become more obedient the more Bible I know. In, in some cases, that's correct. But I know that many of you here have never read the, read, read the Bible all the way through. But do you know that you have such a steady obedience in your life that you obey things in the Bible that you haven't even read yet? You haven't even heard about it yet. Your life has changed. And so you're reading the Bible, you go, oh, wow. That, that's something God addresses in my life. But he, I, I made that change three years ago. Why? Because God dwells in you. And certainly he uses the Bible to enliven us and open our eyes. But you're obeying things today that you never even heard a Bible study on. You've never even read it in the Bible. Or maybe you have read through the Bible, but it's been so long that you forgot about that verse. But the Holy Spirit hasn't forgotten. And he dwells in you. We obey him and do the things that he says. It's not some trip that we have to carry or some burden. We're believers. We hear Jesus, we follow him. It's pretty powerful. Number five, and we've looked at this in the entirety of our study, but as a believer, a true believer has spiritual assurance. A make-believer doesn't. The Bible says in 1 John 5, verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You have assurance. You're kept by the power of God. Six, you have spiritual security. You know the door is locked and the key belongs to God. Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hands. The Father takes care of them. Number seven, a true believer loves what God loves. A true believer loves what God loves. Let me just review real quick. Number one, spiritual life. Number two, a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Number three, a desire to fellowship. Number four, a steady obedience. Number five, spiritual assurance. Number six, spiritual security. And number seven, a true believer loves what God loves. You have a whole new way of looking at the world. And you find what God loves, you love. We have the love of God abiding in us. Well, there you have it. That's how to tell if you're a believer or a make-believer. 
This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. We know we should study the Bible, but many Christians aren't sure how to go about it, or they find it less than enjoyable. Well, we picked out a resource that can help. It's from Skip Heitzig, and the book is aptly titled, How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. As the title would suggest, Pastor Skip will inspire you to enjoy studying the Bible as God intends and discover its power and relevance to your life. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, we've got another study in Hebrews to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 